Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast. I'm DJ Short and with me here once again is Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. We are live on Twitch this afternoon, so welcome to our audience over there. And if you are listening in podcast form or watching later on YouTube, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. Lots of afternoon baseball today, which is always fun. That means it's also time, though, for our weekly waiver wire wednesday show i'll bring you in here scott as part of that of course we've been doing our pitch clock last week you know we're open to adjustments you know as major league baseball should be with all the changes they've made as well we uh reduced our our pitch clock to 40 seconds uh so we will do that this week i am on the clock this week but the gist of the gist of the show here is we each bring five recommendations to the table uh in leagues of various depths, you know, more shallow leagues, 10, 12 team leagues, but also deeper ones as well. So hopefully all of our listeners can uh, get something from today's show. Yeah, give you a little retail therapy, right? Um, try to, if, if the players you have aren't doing it for you, try to get some new players, at least at the bottom of your roster, where you should always be churning. Yeah. And you mentioned daytime baseball. So when you think about daytime baseball, what team comes to mind? I think of the Chicago Cubs, who obviously oh, yeah. for, for years didn't have lighting in their stadium. And they've recalled Christopher Morrell, who was one of my favorite fantasy pickups of last year. I'm going to put you on the clock. He's on your list. Why don't you pitch us on Christopher Morrell? Yeah, so the Cubs brought up Matt Mervis last week, but Christopher Morrell's numbers in the minors were even more impressive, hitting 330. Uh, had 11 home runs in just 29 games, also stole four bases. So about time he comes up here. He actually started at second base on Tuesday with Nico Horner out of the lineup with a hamstring issue. The Cubs have not put Horner on the injured list yet, but Morrell should see some playing time at second base there in the coming days. He qualifies at four different positions in Yahoo, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield. A little bit of flawed approach for sure. But last year, put up 16 home runs, 10 stolen bases. So there's pop and speed ability here. I think he should be rostered in most mixed leagues right now. I agree. I The power he showed at AAA he kind of came out of nowhere. I, he doesn't have a body type that really looks like a slugger. But the bottom line is he's going to fill different – even if the approach isn't ideal, he's going to fill different categories. And Chicago lineup has been a little bit more fun than expected. So I think it's certainly a good time to get in on him. And we love the position flexibility as well. 
and you know get some extra daytime baseball nothing wrong with playing it's easier to see in the daytime for most of these guys so that could be a plus as well uh well who do i have who plays some multiple positions a bunch of these guys you know i'm, I'm gonna give you i'm gonna Try to say something nice about Detroit. Okay. I, I talked about them being one of the worst teams in baseball. And for the first couple of weeks, they were, man. I, I, I you know, they went to Tampa Bay, got their lunch eaten. And since then, the last month or so, they're in the middle of the pack of the run scored yep. category. And Eric Haas is somebody who he's rostered, what, 11% of Yahoo leagues or something like that. He's got a plus average right now. He's only got two home runs, but. He's shown power in recent seasons. And if you look at his OPS plus the last three years, which is kind of a good back-of-envelope metric of how good an offensive player is, 103, 114, 112, or 100 is a league average player. He's a better-than-league average hitter. I'm actually, in some leagues, in Yahoo, one standard uh, catcher is – if one catcher is is standard in Yahoo, I'm actually using Eric Haas because he plays a lot of times, first base, outfield, deeper leagues. I'm trying to get extra at-bats. I'm not saying Detroit's lineup is going to be great, but I don't think it's going to be a bottom five lineup anymore. I think it just might, you know, maybe the 19th best or the 23rd best or something like that. I'm warming up to the fact that it might be more playable than I originally thought. And I think Eric Haas is underrepresented right now. So Haas had, let's see, seven game hitting streak, which was, which came to an end on Tuesday night, but still hitting 393 this month, hit homers in back-to-back games when the Mets were in town. Unfortunately, the Mets had to leave, so that home run streak ended as well. Uh, I just love uh, making fun of the Mets right now. I'm going to keep that going. Actually, I'm not. I have something positive to say about the Mets, also at the catcher position, and this is Francisco Alvarez. So he started off really slow. I think he was one for his first 15, but recently has started to turn things off on a bit at the plate, Uh, had his first two-home run game on Tuesday against the Reds, uh, he's hitting 308, 12 for 39 over his last 14 games. I still think he's going to struggle with the strikeout. There are times that he seems a little over aggressive, and I think after a night where he hits two two home runs, like maybe that'll happen a bit more here in the coming days. I think that's something to watch. But Alvarez was not just a top catching prospect, but one of the top overall prospects in the game. A very quick bat, light tower power. Just need a little bit more, a little bit of time to get comfortable at the major league level. Also, keep in mind he's catching a pitching staff which is in shambles right now for the Mets. So I think it made sense to give him a little bit of time to get comfortable. But I think any catcher that's producing him, you mentioned Haas, but also Alvarez. Like if he's getting comfortable against major league pitching, just ride it out and and see what happens here. The Mets lineup, I don't think it's going to be as bad as as it has been over the past couple of weeks or so. Uh, so I think it's a good time to jump home on board with Alvarez. Oh, we know the bat is world class. What has your impression been of his defense, and and how will that allow him to get in the field as a catcher? And I'm I have, I'm not hip to this. I know you follow the Mets closer than I do. Have they been yeah. giving him non catcher work? Um, I, I believe only here and there. Not not as much as you might think. Uh, against left handed pitching, you know, they have Tommy Pham. Uh, they have Mark Canna, right-handed batters. So, like, the DH opportunities against lefties, not necessarily there. Alvarez has been surprisingly good for framing. He's in the 90th percentile for framing. So he's holding his own there. The pop time to second base is 73rd percentile. So that's not really an issue. And in general, I mean, teams are stealing like crazy. So I wouldn't say they're stealing on Alvarez as much as just teams are very aggressive stealing bases right now. But yeah, I, I think he's passing the eye test so far as, as you know, holding on to a catcher position for the long term, which is a big deal from a fantasy perspective. 
Uh, again, I, you know, I mentioned a minute ago, like this Mets pitching staff is really bad right now. And, you know, we've seen what's going on with Max Scherzer. He got pushed back due to neck spasms. Who, who knows the next time he's going to pitch? They need Verlander to be the ace uh, of this staff moving forward because everything else is, is looking pretty rough right now. That's a tough situation for any rookie catcher to have to handle. But Alvarez can hit. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, I was really hoping that Peterson was going to pop this year. I was really yeah. excited when Senga got off to a good start. I'm looking for answers on this Mets pitching staff. I'm not sure I'm seeing them, but certainly yeah. Alvarez's bat has me excited. And we, you talk, we've talked a lot about Brett Beatty on this show, too, and he looks like a guy who's here for good. You know, Lamont Wade's going to be my next play in San Francisco, and I think the only reason he's still able to be picked up in so many leagues is because he's a platoon guy. But look, it's a very clean platoon. He bats leadoff for the Giants against right-handed pitching. Obviously, that's most of the world is right-handed. So even though the, the Giants play those West Coast games, they can be a little bit of a pain in the neck for a part-time guy. You know when Wade's going to play. Right-handed starter, he's batting leadoff. 261, 438, 511 slash. I mean, that, that, sl- that slugging it on base is, is terrific. He's first base in outfield eligibility. And an even number of walks and strikeouts, you know how I feel about that whenever I see that. Yeah. Hugging strangers. So he's the best Lamont since San Francisco. We're a very San Francisco friendly program. We're going to give you Lamont Wade. Not for every format. In the shallower formats, you need somebody who plays every every day. I get it. Although Wade in very limited time has actually hit lefties this year. It's a really short sample, though. But I think he's going to tear up righties. The San Francisco lineup is a little bit top heavy, but if he's batting leadoff, that's the place to be. So let's work on that Lamont Wade ownership tag. I think it's a little bit low. Yeah, 940 OPS against righties uh, so far this season. Last year was a rough one for him, injuries and whatnot. But two years ago, had an 860 OPS against righties as well. Uh, You know, if you're in a league where you can make daily lineup changes, I think he's pretty much a must as far as rostering. Uh, Before we move on here, just a reminder, download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. So next up for me, I'm going to talk about someone I think I mentioned a a few weeks ago, and that's Alex Kirilov. I am a huge Alex Kirilov fan, and currently he's available in more than 90% of Yahoo leagues. And we all know the story with Kirilov. Former top prospect, one of the at the time when he was coming up through the Twins minor league system, one of the top hitting prospects in the game. Uh, of course, has had multiple wrist issues over the past couple of seasons, but uh, on his minor league rehab assignment, he was great. Hit 316, had a 435 on base percentage, hit three home runs over 10 games in AAA. Uh, initially, the Twins optioned him after his rehab clock expired. But he was called up late last week, last week, and he hasn't done much so far fantasy-wise. He's one for five with four walks and three games going into play uh, on Wednesday. But the last two games, he's hit cleanup and fifth in the Twins lineup, starting at first base. Karoloff is a guy, in 2021, the numbers as a rookie were not super impressive. But the things that you did like was the quality of contact. He actually had an expected batting average of 295 as a rookie. The strikeout rate was very reasonable as well. Who knows the condition of the wrist? I don't think he's someone you're necessarily counting on, but middle of the twins order, a left-handed batter, 
qualifies between first base and outfield, has that prospect pedigree. For me, I'm very willing to take a chance on him. Yeah, you give him a pass for the wrist injury. He was the 15th pick in his draft class and just an age 25 season. So at any point, the light could go on for Karloff. And I think it's a good time to get on him before he does much. I mean, you, you, in the old days, you could wait. Okay, watch, watch a week or two, see what he does. But now in competitive leagues, you need to get on this stuff before it happens. Once it's obvious to everybody, it's too late. So let's kick some tires on Kirilov in the medium and deeper leagues. Very Yahoo available. Domingo Herman is somebody who I've talked up a lot on this show, but he's still under 50%. And I get it because the ERA is over four and you just, we're just trained to see that and not trust it. His whip's under one. And hmm. there's, a, there's an old kind of school of thought with fantasy. I, and I, I don't know if it's Ron Chandler who coined this or Todd Zola or maybe it's you, DJ. Uh, at times I've tra- tried to figure out who figured out, you know, who, who ran that baseball league that we did that sim league. It was you. So maybe I'm, I'm not giving you the credit. It could be Joe Sheehan. I don't know, Bill James. When ERA whip don't tell the same story, I trust mm-hmm. the whip. And Herman's throwing four pitches, three of them grade as plus pitches. He's really spiked the strikeout rate. I think it's 11 strikeouts per nine right now. And some of the ERA estimators actually say his ERA should be a little bit lower, not microscopically low. And I, and I get it's hard to reconcile. How can you have an ERA over four and a whip over one? It doesn't make any sense. But right. the walk strikeout rate's really good. And again, he's got a medley of pitches. He's got four pitches. Three of them are grading as plus pitches right now. I still think the Yankees are going to be a competitive team. Last place in the AL East, but they are over 500. The bullpen support, I think, will get better as they sort things out there. I, Domingo Herman, I'm just going to trust the walk strikeout rate. I'm going to trust the pitch mix. I, I think he's capable of being the rest of the season. What are we going to project? I would think like maybe a 3 5 ERA, a 110 whip, or something like that. That's playable in most mixed leagues. Yeah, that's pretty wild to see his, his whip be that high. Uh, or the whip is better, or the ERA is 4.35, the whip is 0.94. That's, that's pretty wacky. Like you don't, you do not see that very often at all. So yeah, I mean, take advantage of those outliers. Like the closest example I can find otherwise um, that's this wide is Aaron Nola's ERA is 4.44. His whip is 1.13. That's pretty vast as well. But yeah, I mean, take a look at this kind of stuff because every once in a while you can find an outlier uh, who's worth taking a chance on and you know, Herman's out there in a bunch of leagues. So. so some people might say with the case of Nola, and maybe it applies to Herman too. Sometimes you see stats like this and the argument is, well, they're around the plate too much. Aaron Nola is mm-hmm. so good with his control that batters are actually using it against him. Maybe he'd be better served to walk a few guys or hit a few guys or something like that. I, I guess it's a school of thought for that because right. some guys, some guys are always going to be those whip masters because they don't walk anybody. But you know, with Nola, he's allowing too many home runs, and he's been one of the more frustrating aces this year. He's been okay. He got a win this week, which is nice, but he hasn't given you what you your ADP would have expected from him so far. But yeah, maybe, so I get maybe for all I know, maybe somebody on Fangraphs or somebody somewhere has done a dive into these types of pitchers and what the disconnect is. Right. Some right. some guys never meet their expected stats like their whole careers. So Dave, like Bush Michael Pineda, Michael Pineda was Pineda was like that. that. Dave Bush was a guy who. People would talk about, oh, his expected stats say she should be this much better. And his Evaldi was that way for a while, too. For sure, for sure. You know, and I think we've gotten better at not expecting everybody to have a regular home run rate, that that shouldn't be yeah. maybe normalized. Maybe FIP and XFIP are, are telling us a little bit of a lie sometimes. But that said, yeah. I'm Herman's on a bunch of my rosters. I'm not just telling you to pick him up. I've added him in a bunch of leagues this year. And I, again, I'm going to die on the hill of the walks and strikeouts. They look like a pitcher who's worth rostering. I'm going to roster him. Yeah, and I, I think for a while, and this is kind of pre-StatCast, there was a line of thinking that, like, once a ball is put into play, like, that 
you know, it's beyond a pitcher's control. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I think that, you know, the shifts are part of it, all that. Like, you know, you you can look at that if you want, but I, I think that school of thought is, is changing now. There are certainly pitchers who uh, can pitch to softer contact versus those who give up harder contact. And yeah, the, the introduction of Babip and Forrest McCracken and all that was a great first step. And, and yeah. You know, and the fact that he came up with an idea that was so counterintuitive and some of the smartest people in baseball are like, this can't be right. It's like, well, well wait, actually, it is kind of right. Well, is it right? It's right to some degree, but yeah. there's, level, there's levels of it. We've gotten a lot more specific with stats, a lot more granular with stats. And this is so many. It, it's a golden age for stat right. analysis and the revolution stuff. But we have to be smarter with this stuff. Pitchers do have more control. over it. At one point, the idea was that they have no control over it. It's just one big lottery. And we know now that that isn't true. Right. And, and, you know, when you do look at fielding independent pitching and that sort of stuff, yeah, it's great if like a pitcher has a low fit, but if their team's defense is bad, mm-hmm. yeah. then it doesn't matter. And, and that's the way it is with the Phillies, you know, right, like for sure. Zach Wheeler has a, a high ERA, but his FIP is low. But, you know, that's kind of what happens when you it always feels like the Phillies have a team like a softball team. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, whatever. You know, we, we, we we're going to outscore them. Their idea of defense is we'll score nine runs. But um, <laughs> it, it feels like they always oh have two or three DHs in the field. And it hurts now because Harper has to DH True. that somebody like Kyle Schwarber has to have a glove when maybe he's yeah. the best position is DH, too. Yeah. Somebody asked me in a in a live chat yesterday. Do you think that Schwarber being in the field could be impacting his hitting? And I don't know. I can't get in his head, but it's. You know, it's something to think about, I guess, at least. But um, yeah, I always yeah. think about stuff like, again, we talk about what does defense matter? What does positioning matter? You know, does a player relax more if they're at a position they can handle or they know they're playing one place every day? Is, is it taxing on a player if he's bouncing around the field? Some guys it may not be. Some guys it may be. I One of my cases for Nick Senzel, who I've talked about on this show before and in the spot before, was that, I thought maybe if the Reds just said, okay, you belong in this one spot. We're going to leave you alone. We're not going to jerk all around the field. Maybe he could just focus on his hitting a little bit more. Or I, I talked about you know one year that um, Suarez was asked to be the shortstop for the Reds. It was a horrible position for him. He made like seven errors in the first week, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Did that affect his offense? There's never going to be – this is stuff you can't quantify, and, and I get it. It's, it's a soft factor, Joe Sheen would call it, and sometimes – if you look at the clouds long enough, you'll see a pattern, right? I mean, some of this stuff is maybe you're, you know, some some guys. Does a big contract put stress on a player? Does changing teams put stress on a player? Does defense put stress on a player? There's no one universal answer to this. Yeah. Maybe it's unknowable, and maybe I'm kidding myself to even look at this stuff. But I do look at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course, it's all part of the puzzle here. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
next for me is a rookie pitcher at the Twins, Louis Varland. He is available in 87% of Yahoo leagues. This was as of uh, Wednesday morning. Legit pr- pitching prospect here with the Twins. 270 ERA over 253 innings in the minors, 323 strikeouts, 80 walks. Pitched well on Tuesday night. Twins lost again. They lost three in a row going into Thursday, but um, or going into Wednesday. But Varland was good. Uh, six innings and one run ball. Um, just that one hit was an RBI single, but he struck out six, walked a pair, uh, totaled 14 whiffs and 95 pitches. The velocity this year, compared to last year, we saw him in a small sample last year, but the velocity is up all across the board so far this year. He topped out last night, Tuesday night, at 98.5 miles per hour on his fastball. Uh, has a varied arsenal to four pitches in his arsenal, four-seamer, cutter, slider, changeup. The path forward for Varland is a, is a little tricky. He does get the Cubs on Sunday. The Cubs are they're a pesky offensive team. Uh, has another tough test after that. I'm blanking on which team it is. But the next two starts are not necessarily favorable. So I would be careful about where I use him. But given where he's rostered right now, and with Tyler Malley's sideline, Kenta Maeda as well, he's going to get a chance to hang on here. And I know maybe he's getting a little bit lost in the shuffle of all these prospect pitchers who's come up recently, but I think Varlin can stick. I love that you're giving out two twins. That's a very twins-friendly podcast. Uh, guys who were cut off from, from DJ's list were Matt Lawton, Joe Mays, Gary Ward, and Ken Landro. Um, so maybe in a future episode, we'll get those guys in there. I hope you I hope you recognize some of those names, Ron Cooper. I, I do. Great Minnesota do. Twins. Um, Very good. Isn't it crazy that the Metrodome came in the late 80s, in the early 80s? It's like already – so many stadiums have come and gone in, in a wild. short amount of time, right? Or the ballpark at Arlington, what was that, a, a 90s park? That's already gone. The, the Brave Stadium gone. opened the during Brave. the 96 Olympics. I mean, I that is – Wild, wild. man. It's wild that you, you stadiums – are, are supposed to you, you think of a stadium lasting like a hundred years or at least fifty mm-hmm. years? It's not always the case anymore. But um, nope. I spent one winter in Minnesota. People there are very nice, and the fantasy picks are very promising, as DJ is outlining. I'm going to give you a player from the Washington Nationals, which doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but Lane Thomas bad leadoff uh, Wednesday as we go to press fifth straight game. I know they're 27th in runs, I get it, but he's got a plus average right now. He's got a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. And since he joined the Nationals, his OPS plus is 110, so he's a plus offensive player. Yeah, it would be nice if we could pick up guys on on the Braves or on the, on the Blue Jays or on you know, plus offenses, but you have to get what you can get. These guys are on the waiver wire for a reason. Sometimes it's the real estate. A player like Lane Thomas may not be rosterable when he's batting 7th, 8th, or ninth. but since they've moved him to the top of the lineup, I'm willing to excuse him for the fact that he plays with a bunch of guys who can't hit. And who knows, maybe Lane Thomas will – be a pumpkin and he'll he'll fall apart really soon. But I think he's been an underrated player since he joined the Nationals, and I'm willing to give him a spin as long as he keeps this top, this spot at the top of the lineup. And the sprint speed is 94th percentile with Lane Thomas as well. Mm-hmm. So getting that volume at the top um, could give you some stolen bases as well. So I, I'm into that. I'm feeling that too. I'm going to go back to the pitching side, and I just mentioned Louis Varland um, and how he's kind of undervalued among these prospect pitchers who have come up. But one name we haven't seen yet is Gavin Williams with the Guardians. He's currently available in 96% of Yahoo leagues. And yeah, the the Guardians have had to rely on these young pitchers so far, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, 
Williams might be the best of the bunch. Had a great start Wednesday in AAA, facing uh, AAA Louisville. The Reds AAA team is a very, very good lineup. Ellie De La Cruz, man, he, he could be here soon. He hit some of the fast, some, the exit velocity on some of his hits Tuesday night were really insane. Definitely go check that out. But Gavin Williams actually struck out Ellie De La Cruz on Wednesday, struck out 10 batters, allowed one run in two, five and two thirds innings. And even before going into the outing uh, on Wednesday, let me see if I could pull up his uh, ERA in the minors. So, so far this season, Gavin Williams going into Wednesday's action, one or actually after that start, 1.13 ERA, uh, just dominant numbers, 41 strikeouts, 10 walks on the season, just has ridiculous stuff, bringing the velocity through a fastball Wednesday, 101.1 miles per hour, just bringing the heat there, the type of pitcher who can make a huge impact, sits in the mid to high 90s with the fastball, power slider the curveball gets uh, good reviews as well i'm super intrigued we might be because williams was promoted to triple a recently the guardians are right in the mix there in the al central i think it's anybody's for the taking given the injuries that the twins have had in their rotation i think the guardians you know they're playing to win this division which they should be i think it might not be long before we see Gavin Williams in the majors. Tristan McKenzie is going to be back soon too. So maybe that takes a spot away, but I think Williams can make a huge impact and I would stash if you had a bench spot available. Yeah, I like it. Uh, he turns 24 in July, first round pick. Went to Cape Fear High School. What a crazy name for a high school. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say about that, but just what Cleveland needs, right, is another interesting pitching prospect. I mean, we've already seen a couple of young pitchers pop for them and I still think this is the best team in this division, and maybe it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, the Royals aren't going anywhere. I, I said some nice things about the Tigers, but they're a 72-win team probably at best. White Sox, so many things have gone wrong for them. It feels like it's it's probably a two-team race, and I think eventually the Guardians will will come out and get it. And you, know, Gavin Williams, again, he's around the right age. He's got the first-round pedigree. He's got the strikeout stats that we want. Let's see the control maybe get a little bit better. Yeah, I think he could definitely be what. Look, there's, there's no guarantee with these guys right we've seen brandon fought struggle with with arizona with his uh couple of starts but some of these guys will hit the ground running and will be fantasy viable right away and i think we have to be open-minded to what's possible and you know the first couple of starts don't go well then maybe you need to reevaluate i'll yeah. give you one more hitter to clean out my list the padres have started to come around juan soto started to hit so pick up Juan soto if you can but maybe you can't get juan soto how about Hassan Kim, their shortstop, who got after a really poor start, but the last two weeks he's hitting 303. He's got eight walks against eight strikeouts. Again, I love it when those ratios are close to one. Not many guys do that. He's stolen five bases over that span. He covers three infield positions. Eventually, at the end of the year, the Padres are going to have a top 10 offense. Now, Kim hits near the bottom of the lineup, so he doesn't get as much of a benefit from that as, as maybe he could. Although one injury, I think he has the profile. He could easily bat first or second for these guys. Why, why isn't he better than Jake Cronenworth or something like that? Right. The bottom line is, guy, you're going to look, if you look at your stats full season, you think, oh, I don't want to pick up Kim, but he's trending upward. And, and I know you can get short sample size, arbitrary endpoints. Those things can lie to you at times, but I like that the approach is good. I like that this is a team that likes to run and they're letting Kim run. And remember, the change since the DH came to the National League. It used to be if somebody had stolen base possibilities, but they were batting seventh or eighth, they would never run because it's in front of the pitcher. They're going to bunt. That was the dead zone. Now 
you can run anywhere in a National League lineup. And we've seen even the middle of the lineup teams will run, but that's no longer a kill shot for speed guys. It used to be. I think Kim is going to be somebody who will easily outgrow this segment. He'll be well over 50% rostered in a couple of weeks when people realize that he started to come into his own this season. Yeah, and he's another guy who brings some speed. Uh, he's selective at the plate. Uh, doesn't make a lot of hard contact, so you wonder a bit about the power upside here. But I think he's one of those guys, when it's all said and done, I think we've talked about this with Kim before, like it's kind of boring, but in the end of the year, like the numbers are going to be there and they're going to be useful. Um, so I wouldn't overlook him uh, in mixed leagues for sure. As a, as a middle infielder type of option, we're not talking about sec- starting at second or shortstop, mm-hmm. but he will be viable, I think. Totally agree. So I think we've covered everyone. Does that seem right? That's it. That's 10 guys, you know. Yeah. One thing before we go, and I saw this come up with a couple of people this week. When you look at a baseball savant page and you see a bunch of red, what does that mean? You know, like it's easy to look at that data and say, pick them up because their exit velocity is 90th percentile. But if you're not providing the context beyond that, like how helpful is it? You know, I, this came up with Jack, Jack Sawinski. There was a debate on Twitter the other day where you're, yes, you're citing Baseball Savant page, but you're not looking at the whole picture of platoon splits and contact issues and all that. Where do you fall on, you know, using a Baseball Savant page as your justification and evidence for a pickup? Well, again, as you said, it, it's one piece of the puzzle. It's something that we consider... The, the whole you think about like the crux of Moneyball, right? And it was like scouts versus stats. And the point is, you need both of them, right? You need some observations, you need some data collection, you need some framing of a team context. Where does somebody hit? What is their role on the team? Is this a team that likes to run? What's the ballpark? How does it play? What's the division like? Although the division schedules have been more balanced now, so that's not as significant a factor as it used to be. This is all part of it, and. Certainly going to baseball savant is something I do every day and something that you need to consider. Also, I think people also have to keep in mind, I think this gets lost sometimes. A lot of these stats overlap where they have certain certain things factor into multiple stats here. So sometimes someone will quote like two or three things about a player, but they're kind of double counting the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have really good exit velocity and really good hard hit percent. So those are those two things kind of go hand in hand. You, you, it's, yeah. you, you're not going to have one and not have the other. So be careful that you're not double counting things sometimes. But yeah, and a lot of these stats are more maybe descriptive than they are predictive. We're still trying to yes. figure out what, what augurs good for the future and what just explains what we've already seen. Exactly. Bottom line is, is this, you, you need to, you can't just be somebody who says, Oh, I'm a scout. I don't care what the stats say. I'm just going to sit five rows behind the plate and, and watch what happens. Not that the scouts, I, I think Moneyball, the movie did a, a little bit of a poor job of making some of these scouts out like they couldn't tie their shoes or, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, drive a car or something. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are really smart, but even the scouts would say the best scouts would say, yeah, we need stats. And the, best stat people would say yes we need to observe and my fantasy ethos has always been that you get to mix all the stuff together and again it's going to be part of the the team chemistry of how that mixes where people hit how good the lineup is the ballpark all this stuff i already said this is all part of the puzzle there's and there's no one and i mentioned ops plus is a good shorthand 
you know, some people might prefer different stats. It's some of the more statistically friendly stats. I like the index stats that 100 is the league average. It's just a nice back of envelope thing. But there's right. never going to be one stat. There's never going to be, okay, well, this is war is this, pick him up. Or his sprint speed is this, pick him up. It, it's all part of what goes into a really big puzzle. And, and that's what makes fantasy great is that there's different ways to get to fantasy value. And some guys who strike out a lot and don't walk are still fantasy valuable. And some guys who walk a lot aren't fantasy valuable. And, and it's all part of why the game is interesting because there's so many different paths to get to a player. So long story short, I, I want people to look at baseball savant and fan graphs and stuff. Just don't use anything and don't use us. Don't use us as a Bible either. We are one thing to consider as you make your own intelligent final decision. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's well said. Uh, a lot of these uh, numbers we see on Baseball Savant are not predictive at all. It's only what's happened to this point. Uh, so you can't see what will happen next. Uh, but I think you would rather have someone displaying this ability to make hard contact. The speed is something that can be measured mm -hmm. and obviously indicates toward future production. Uh, but it's not everything. Uh, and I think it's it's better than, you know, five years ago where, yeah, we had BABIP and we had fly ball rate, we had line drive rate, but you were still kind of in the dark a bit more. So I think having this additional evidence is only makes it more helpful, especially when you're talking about players on the fringes or maybe players who have changed their approach to be more fly ball oriented or pull heavy and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you can state certain percentiles and all that but it's not the full story and yeah I, I would say it's it's helpful to give it in these little sound bites and and say this about certain players when you're doing a podcast but it's not the whole story for sure and and of course to really get reliable baseball data you need big samples and this is the tricky thing about fantasy is we have to make choices on very limited samples and sometimes the samples don't have any value at all and again i'm, I'm talking about you know, what Kim's done in the last two weeks, some people will just scoff and say, well, who cares? It's two weeks, you know, and I, and I get it. We have to make, we're dealing with a game of incomplete information. And then just to throw a wrench into it, you know, sometimes pitcher stats won't make any sense and a pitcher's struggling. And then at the end of the year, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, my elbow started barking in May or right. I, I, I hurt my shoulder. I hurt my shoulder in that start in Tampa Bay and I wasn't the same since. It's, it doesn't make any sense for any athlete to really tell us about their, being heard or their health or everything they're trying to perfect their life uh, protect their livelihoods and everything and maybe it's none of our business and all that stuff so we're playing a guessing game and that's why pitchers are so frustrating and so maddening because even when good pitchers they don't pitch well for a few starts you have to get nervous I, mean, I took corbin burns early in some leagues he hasn't been corbin burns so far and you're yeah. like oh is his velocity down is there a pitch that's bothering him is he not clicking with the catcher i i don't know uh, maybe it's right. just it, could, it certainly could be variance it's a big part of it um, I don't know if there's anything going on in his personal life. I mean, maybe just everybody gets hit sometimes. It's part of it. Garrett Cole will allow seven runs in one of his starts this year. It's just part of the game. But um, right. it's also what makes the game great, too, because we, you're never going to figure it out. You're never going to solve it, no matter how much Bill James you read, how much Fangraphs you read, how much time you spend on Savant. I'll also mention one of the – and maybe you could give me your favorite go-to on Savant. I, I love to look at the expected stats. I love to know mm – -hmm. If somebody's you know hitting for a surprisingly good average or you know, surprisingly good ARA, how much of it they earned with that? Now, granted, with any outlier stat, usually it's going to say oh, they're not this good. You know, if, if somebody yeah. has a one point eight one eighty ARA, the, the expected stats going to be well, their ERA should be two three or something like that. That's commonly what you're going to get. 
But one of my favorite things to look at with Savant is the expected stats. What's yes. one of the first things that you gravitate towards? Yeah, I, I used to be that way, like on fan graphs too. And you could see the difference between, you know, batting average on balls in play, like who was the lowest, or even with pitchers, you could sort XFIP from ERA and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It helps you around the margins when you're looking for a player to trade for or a player to maybe trade a little bit higher on, like uh, Brandon Marsh right now, for example. He's hitting 317, but his expected batting average is 236. Like just something like that gives you like this small little snapshot of information where you could say, like, huh, interesting. Maybe he's overperformed a little bit. Maybe I should ask around or whatever. I mean, this is, it's not everything but it's a little bit of information that you're getting that you can use to your, to your advantage. And sometimes that's, that's uh, what fantasy is about. And full disclosure, as I mentioned on Monday's show, I used the expected stats from Paul Goldschmidt last year to talk myself out of drafting Paul Goldschmidt this year, which looks like a horrible <laughs> mistake, even though the Cardinals are having one of their worst seasons. I don't know if they're going to – let me put your feet to the fire. At the end of the season, how many wins will the Cardinals have? Um. 85. Will they be a playoff team? Um, no. I think the hole's a little too deep. Not that they can't climb out yeah. of it. This is a division that's ripe to be taken. Nobody's great there. But, yeah, I, I think I, I would say maybe 81 wins and no to the playoffs. Although, I don't know. Maybe if they maybe they just need a different voice there. I, and I know managerial changes in season a lot of times are just changes for the sake of doing something. Maybe it's not the right move. But, Ollie Marmel is giving yeah. such a weird vibe. We've talked about this on the show before. Yeah. I, I just think he's the wrong guy at the wrong time. This Contreras story is just wild that you would spend all this money on right. a guy. And then, oh, my God, we don't like his defense. Well, you know, last I checked, the Cubs were on your schedule plenty in the last, you know, five or six years. You should know what he could do defensively. But How many games did the Mets win? How many games did the Mets win, if you had to guess right now? Oh, they're still – I still think they make the playoffs. Uh, 87 wins. Okay. I would at this point, I would take it. You know, the thing about the Mets is like it's New York. So you're going to hear a lot of frustration, naturally, especially because just how poorly they played recently. But they just need to get in, get in the playoffs, make sure that Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are healthy. Like, that's it. If you get in, like we saw with the Phillies last year, if you get in, you have this core of star players, mm -hmm. you can go far. So like. If they don't win the division, like, who cares? Just get to the playoffs and let's see what happens. It's a tournament. I, I just dialed up the Fangraphs um, playoff odds. And the Cardinals right now are 24.6% to make the playoffs. The Mets are still a, a plus bet to make the playoffs at 56.9%. Uh, the Braves are basically already in at 99.5. Mets are 56. Phillies 44. Marlins 19. Of course, the Nationals are just about effectively zero. But interesting that the Cardinals are still uh, the second choice in that division. The Brewers are 66%. Then it's the Cardinals, yep. Cubs, Pirates, and the Reds are are buried. Uh, Rockies are at zero. Athletics are at zero. I think everybody would agree with that. Uh, the Twins are the 71% choice to make the playoffs in the Central. Mm -hmm. The Guardians are 25.3%. That looks low to me. I think the Guardians yeah. are going to figure it out. And they're, they're only two, two games behind right now. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody we could punch up as a prop. The Yankees, 68.4%. Uh, which is interesting. The Orioles are the lowest in the AL East. They're 30.4%. This is just, again, something, it's something that's, it's based in data. You, you may disagree with it. You may have reasons that aren't data driven that disagree with it. It's just, you know, one thing that's, that makes it fun. But as you said, the tournament, you know, the playoffs, man, as they keep adding more and more teams to it, it just means the variance is greater and greater. 
And what the World Series tells us, it, it tells us who won the tournament. It doesn't necessarily mean who was the best team. I've accepted that yeah. from long yeah. back. Yeah. Cardinal Devil Magic. It will it will come back at some point. We all know it. Uh, so we'll see. I still I think the Cardinals are too good to be this bad. So we'll we'll see what happens. But let me throw you one other small sample just funkiness. I and again, what does fifteen games mean? You know who the the um, worst offense is over the last fifteen games in baseball? Because it's a good it's a good team. Um. I forget I, if I went by run scored or OPS. I went by one of those two things. So again, you, you know, there's different ways to measure this, and not, maybe one stat is isn't better than another one. But I believe the Astros had the worst OPS hmm. over the last 15 days. Wow, wow, I kind of see it right. Other than Oliver, Tucker's been okay. Alvarez has been great. Bregman's yep. been disappointing. They obviously lost yes. Altuve. They'll get him back. It's not usually the the Astros were like one through nine were a lineup of hell, or like one through seven were a lineup of hell. I don't feel like they're. Right now, I feel like you work around Alvarez and Tucker, and it feels like everybody else you can pitch. It's true. It's definitely true. It's definitely true. The Yankees have 11 runs on the board through six innings today, so that's a that's a good sign for them moving. And the forward. Tigers are five. I told you this Tigers lineup was coming around. I don't think they <laughs> played today, but um, and, and you know, man, a guy who I, I Eduardo Rodriguez was a player I was afraid to draft, and I'm, it's looking like that was the wrong call. Yeah, totally. He's looked great. And we'll see if he ends up being a trade ship. I think he, I think he could be. I think he can also opt out of his contract after the season, which might be a good idea for him based off how he's pitching right now. But good stuff on this uh, waiver wire Wednesday. Remember to subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing. Also, follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.